Hey listeners, you've heard on the podcast from casting directors and Broadway directors just how vital a well-curated social media presence can be for your career. The Breakdown is proud to be partnering with TSMA Consulting, a globally recognized social media firm that can help you authentically grow your following without using bots, fake followers, or anything like that. I particularly love the welcome packet and the videos they include that help you optimize your account. And wow, did I learn a lot. The TSMA is offering an exclusive discount for our listeners. Use offer code BREAKDOWN20 for $20 off any of their growth packages at tsmagrowth.com. All right, listeners, on to the show. I'm Robbie, and this is The Breakdown. This week, I'm sharing my conversation with two-time Tony Award nominee Michael Arden. Michael is an actor and two-time Tony-nominated director for his Broadway revivals of Spring Awakening and Once on This Island. Additional directing credits include A Christmas Carol starring Jefferson Mays at the Geffen, also filmed and streamed this past holiday season, Maybe Happy Ending at the Alliance Theater, The Pride and Merrily We Roll Along at the Wallace Annenberg, Joseph at Lincoln Center, The Connors on ABC, the upcoming film The Book of Ruth starring Ruth Wilson, I love her, among others. Michael is also a company member of The Forest of Arden, an immersive theater company premiering a new work, Alien Nation, at Williamstown Theater Festival this summer. Listeners, I am beyond thrilled to have Michael on the podcast for about a million reasons. I'm a huge fan of his work, both on and off stage, and his career, but I'm also a big fan of his humility and his honesty and his perspective on our industry. Michael talks about too many wonderful things to sum up right now, but one thing that I love that we get to talk about is his decision to leave Juilliard halfway through to do a Broadway show. He explains that he was able to continue his education in this industry through shows and finding mentors. Michael explains that everything, every job, every audition should be an educational opportunity, and I couldn't agree more. I also love that we get to talk about the moment when Michael started directing and how he started telling people in the industry who knew him as an actor that he's also directing. This can be such a scary and tricky or risky conversation or career move, but I think it's important to hear for anyone who has more than one interest or passion within this industry that they want to do professionally. Hearing from people at the top of their game like Michael who are both acting and directing in this business and doing it exceptionally well is exactly why I started the podcast. I want to start having more of these conversations and hearing from people that are doing it like Michael is super important. Again, if you like what you hear, please tell a friend, share this episode on social media, or write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. The Breakdown community is growing and I love hearing from you all. All right, listeners, without further ado, here's my chat with the kind, generous, thoughtful, and wildly, wildly talented Michael Arden. Michael, I'm so happy to be seeing you this morning, sharing some, I mean, I'm having coffee on my side of things, just like getting the morning going with a, with a podcast interview. <laughs> Thank you so much for being game and chatting with me and happy to see you today on this Monday. Yeah, it's so good to see you too. And I'm having coffee here on my end. So hopefully the caffeine will, will help us get through. Yeah, it's almost like almost like having a coffee date with someone in the you know the old days when you used to meet up and have coffee. You know, you don't have to worry about who's going to like pick up the check. That's the best part. <laughs> of, you know, pandemic is there's there's never that there's not that awkward moment of like who's who's paying for the coffee. So 
Right. Totally. I know. Well, listen, you're someone I'm so excited to have on the podcast. I know people are excited to hear from you. You know, I was thinking, I've been thinking about what this podcast is lately and I'm almost like, you know, it's kind of like inside the actor's studio, but like nothing about the process or craft. (laughs) It's like about the business and like the choices we make and the careers we craft and how it happened. And, you know, then hearing from you about the audition room and, you know, stuff like that, that people really want to hear about. And so when I think about that, you're such a perfect person to, to talk to about this because you've done so much within the business. And it's, I feel like allows other people like me and that are listening almost like the permission to be able to kind of do other things or um, explore other passions and interests within the industry. And right you know, you do it on such a high level. And I, I think before there was a little bit of a stigma that you couldn't do that. Or, you know, oh, if you're an actor, you kind of can't do anything else because people will be confused. You know, even right. like if you're a singer, you can't do TV, you know, which you've also done, you know, both both of those things. So um just happy to be chatting with you today and to, to get your perspective, you know, on all of that. So glad to be here. Yeah. I, I actually just saw your Instagram post about siblings day and I saw that you're an only child and I am an only child. So I don't know, I, this has been popping up for me, but like, do you think being an only child or, you know, not having siblings or needing to like create that community does it, or maybe it doesn't have anything to do with your career and what you're doing and directing and acting? Or do you think that being an only child does have some, some sort of an impact on, you know, your life and your career, you know, looking back on it. That's an interesting question that I didn't think you were going to ask. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I mean, I think certainly to some extent, probably why I got into the business has something to do with the fact that I was an only child and forced to sort of like play by myself in the garage and, you know, and then I feel like in my work now and with my colleagues, they sort of have like, you know, my closest work colleagues have certainly become my, you know, work siblings and work spouses. So, uh, you know, there is that sense of like, wanting, I do have a desire to like build family in the projects I do. And so it makes sense that I sort of do that within the structure of a, you know, creative team or company that I'm working with and building it. It certainly, you know, I don't really have the litmus of your normal family and brother and sister, mom and dad, I'm sort of, you know, everybody's either never existed or has passed away, unfortunately. So it, it, in my family, so it, it does feel like my colleagues a lot of the time are my family and uh, all all that comes with that, you know, so I'm, I'm sort of like building an ideal version of family uh, of an artistic family on each project I work on. Yeah. For sure. I mean, for me, you know, like I, I was always such an extrovert. And so I was always like, you know, didn't want to play alone. And so it was kind of getting all the other kids that I lived with to come over and like create a community, you know, like, and also directing them in my head, like, oh, we're going to do this. And then we're going to go get Kool-Aid. And then we're going to, you know, and now I think about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I was always doing that and getting people together and introducing people to people, you know, I was definitely like the bossy kid in the neighborhood, probably who like, I grew up in a trailer park in Texas and we, I used to like force my neighbor friends to like do plays in the backyard and stuff like that. And, and you know, probably, you know, I'm sure they've like said yes to it, but I'm sure they were like, what the, what the fuck is this guy's deal? Like looking back on it, it's kind of funny now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, I saw that and I just, um, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I've been thinking about that lately, like not having siblings because it's rare, you know, that you don't meet a lot of other yeah. people. Um, so listen, I'm interested, you know, in thinking about what I wanted to chat about today and talking about like the beginnings of things. I think that there are a lot of early career actors, early career casting directors, producers, directors listening. And just so talking about the beginning of, of kind of your two bigger things, like as an actor, but then also moving into directing. So as an actor, your path was interesting in that in the beginning for you, you went to Interlochen. Were you there for your whole high school time? No, I was I was at Interlochen. I went to the summer camp. Oh, oh okay. Program, um, uh, after the, the summer after my sophomore year, and then I auditioned for the academy and got in, but my grandparents didn't let me go at first. So I came back and did a semester in Texas and then um, ended up going to the boarding school the second half of my junior year and all of my senior year. Oh, cool. Did you know Dan Amboyer there? Oh, very well. We were in a production. We did. We were in She Loves Me together. We were in Snoopy, the musical together. He played Linus. I played Charlie Brown. Yeah, Perfect. Yeah, yeah Dan's a, a good friend and past podcast guest plugging his episode. There you go. Yeah. Um, but then you go to Juilliard, right? Which is, we all know, incredible school, you know, very looked at in terms of coming out and graduating and the showcases attended, but you didn't even get to the showcase part of it. You left to to do a Broadway show. That's Is that right? Correct. Yeah. I left after my second year. Uh, I got cast in a production of Big River. It was with Deaf West and uh, the, at the roundabout. I got, got the job before I finished my sophomore year there. I tend to leave places. It's a little early. I like to like, I'm like a French exit kind of guy. So I did the show my, the summer between my junior and senior year. And I was like doing a Broadway show and then going to be going back to class for my third year at Juilliard in the fall. But then the show extended and it was going to conflict with the first couple weeks of school, which is a big no-no, or at least was. And so I, I remember the day that the extension was announced. I got a call from Kathy Hood, who was sort of in charge of everything at Juilliard. And she said, so we notice your, your summer job is extending. Will you be leaving school or will you be quitting the play? Uh, and I had to make that decision and I decided to leave school, which was not an easy decision, but, um, but, uh, you know, was the right one for me. Right. So like, you know, when you get to Juilliard, were, did you just start auditioning for professional stuff? Like were you, did you always just know, I want to just start working as soon as possible? No, I mean, you know, it was sort of like, I wanted to continue my training and learn as much as I could. But the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I worked at the Williamstown Theater Festival, got my equity card and ended up linking up with a fabulous manager that summer who would like send me some on some auditions. Uh, but you know, I, I kind of wanted to stay in school and just kind of like work for summer work with these auditions and mm -hmm. best laid plans. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. So, you know, and then <laughs> dropping out of school didn't end up being a bad decision because at least on paper, do you know, you kept working, do you know, things kept coming your way. Bear came your way probably a year later, which is obviously like how you came into my existence, you know, my, you know, zeitgeist and everything like that. And so, but, but I wonder looking back now at that, those early years, what it felt like or what you feel like, what was happening? You success 
came fast or you were working or whatever we deem success to be. But why do you think that was? I, I'm just wondering, like, you know, we can never follow anyone's path. But and obviously you were talented and and smart and um, in New York City. But what what do you feel like was happening for you in the in the business world? Or, or how did you feel like you were dealing with representation or auditions or, or you know, how, how these things started happening? I think there was a sort of like a, you know, I, I knew that I was like in school at Juilliard. So any audition I went to was like butter as opposed to like the meat. You know, it wasn't like at the beginning, I think in, in what I found is helpful in general when, when looking for work is to feel like, you know, if I don't get this thing, it's going to be okay. Therefore, I have like, I feel more free, uh, less inhibited, less desperate in an audition. And I could just go in and have fun and show what I do. And I could take risks in a way that sometimes I think if you feel like, you know, something's dire, something's so important, I have to get this job. You like, we, we, the first thing that goes away is spontaneity and risk. We sort of try to do the thing that's going to get us the job as opposed to doing the thing that we find interesting and fun, which is actually the thing that is going to get us the job. So I think that that might have been part of it. I don't know. I was also just incredibly lucky. I was like in the right place at the right time. I, you know, um, and and had people who saw me and believed in me. And um, and. And I think I was, you know, I, th I think doing Big River as my first New York job was really mm -hmm. was a really good one to have because just personally because I was like I learned a new language I met an entire new culture of people I was getting to like play a supporting comedic role on Broadway in which like I got a lot of laughs and people remembered me from that and I think a lot of people saw that show because it was you know it made a splash at the time um, but you know certainly that streak didn't last you know then after bear i think i didn't work for a year so it's just up and down you know but it was all very exciting at the time and you know scary of course but it felt like i was just trying to listen to listen to the universe and see where i should go next and you know not make decisions based on fear but on exciting risk Leaving school was an exciting risk, you know, but Jeff Calhoun, who was directed Big River when I was trying to decide whether to go back to school or not, <clears throat> gave me some great piece of a great piece of advice, which was, he said, you know, why, why would you be going back to school if you can keep working? And I was like, well, I'm just afraid that I don't know as much as I need to know to be in the business. And I'm afraid, but, but, but you know, I kept saying, he said, you keep saying the word fear. And he said, any decision you make that's worth making there should be a tremendous amount of fear in it. That's how you know you're making the right decision. Um, so, and that that has really stuck with me. And I owe so much to Jeff as not only an inspiration as a director and friend, um, but also just you know he he gave me that piece of advice that I've tried to carry forward my entire career. We love Jeff Calhoun. Yes, we Episode do. 19, I think. He's um, incredibly, incredibly sweet and incredibly intelligent. And he's one of those other people that, you know, he has this quote that I love that he said on the podcast, like, I attribute my the success or any success I have in this business to knowing how every side of the industry works and knowing kind of what everyone does. Yeah. And, and, and I love that. I think that he's incredibly intelligent. He also has like, you know, started the careers of so many people. Um, <laughs> 
that we know and love, me me included, you know, the people he's discovered, you know, and and brought to the stage, like Jeremy Jordan, Eden Espinosa. He tells the Sutton Foster story, which is like this great story. Uh, So he's he's like my, you know, he's my North Star. I love that guy. Yeah, for sure. And I love, you know, talking about making decisions that can be scary. And then there's, you know, a good decision has an element of fear to it. I mean, that rings true right now. I feel like in this pandemic that we're in, you know, just just jumping to the current, because I feel like a lot of us are making different decisions, both in career and personal lives that just are a little um, fearful, you know, Um, especially when we don't know if people are going to come back to the theater or how, you know, how much we can produce something because we don't know if it's going to be safe or, you know, how we make those decisions. So, um, I definitely makes me feel a little bit better, better about, you know, all of that. So, okay. I just have to ask this because I'm gay, but at some point you link up with Barbara Streisand. <laughs> yeah. As you do. Yeah. And I, um, am a huge fan of buyer and seller that play, you know, and I just, I just, what was that? I mean, were you, did you get to know her at all? Is there anything about that play buyer and seller? I don't know if you saw it, but like, that is like, true for you i i don't know just anything about that so i was asked i remember i was doing a, this was after i had done a show called the times there change and on broadway which was a complete utter flop um i got luckily like got a job right after that at the old globe in san diego and like in the second week of rehearsal like my appendix almost burst in rehearsal and i had to be like had this emergency surgery so i was i was um in the hospital like coming to hyped up on you know painkillers uh and <laughs> richard j alexander uh who i had done a concert with at joe's pub um called me like out of the blue and was like hey what are you doing this summer and i was like uh nothing you know i, I don't know and he was like do you want to sing with barbara streisand and tour europe to which I thought, like, oh, I'm definitely hallucinating. Like, <laughs> this is, these are the drugs talking. Um, yeah. But he was putting together a group called, the, I think we were called the Broadway Boys, uh, to replace the, the group Il Devo, who couldn't do the summer slot on her European tour. So we would, like, do duets with her and banter and sing back up on, like, eight songs or something throughout the course of this enormous stadium tour she did. And it just kind of, I mean, again, like people taking a chance on me. I was like this young kid and some fabulous, Hugh, Hugh Pinero, Sean Dermott, Peter Lockyer were the other three guys who, God, I love those three. Um, and we went to Europe and did these, like, she traveled with a 60 person orchestra and the four of us. And we did, you know, two shows a week or something insane like that all throughout Europe. Uh, it was the craziest time and she was so wonderful and funny and, you know, I didn't like, I haven't like been to her house or anything, but I definitely, you know, we, we did a show together. We like went out and had pizza together after performances and, and, you know, uh, she was amazing. And, you know, she's like, what's funny about Barbara is she, she is really both like, she's aware of how unaware she is about something. So I remember she made this joke in the, in the show that I felt like really almost could have appeared in buyer and seller. She said, you know, people always ask me, you know, am I like everybody else? And I'm like, of course I am. I go to Starbucks every morning. There's one in my living room. You know, like <laughs> she, she sort of gets it, gets that she's like, you know, 
a thing. Uh, and but she was really lovely. And God, what an incredible both opportunity and education to watch and listen to her sing and play for those crowds. And just as a musician and as a performer, um, it was really thrilling. And she was so always so gracious and generous. And, you know, I got to like lock eyes and hold her hand and sing duets with her on in front of 30,000 people a night. It's kind of, it doesn't even feel real anymore. Like it feels like, did that happen? Oh yeah, I guess so. And I was like 24, 23 at the time, I think it was wild, you know, not to mention like Europe as a, as like, you know, it, yes. it, it was like the, the party afterwards and the stuff was so insane. I, I met so many great people that are still friends and, touring with that orchestra, just the greatest musicians that, you know, the greatest musicians that anyone's ever seen and legendary Bill Ross, who, um, you know, conducts the Oscars, you know, I was the, our conductor and yeah, Randy, her, her pianist is so, you know, incredible. Like one of the greatest pianists in life played with Sinatra, you know what I mean? Uh, so it was, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, you said it, but I was thinking like, what an amazing education to watch, you know, one of arguably the most incredible live performers from on stage, you know, watching her night after night, watching her with the audience, watching her singing and doing all that stuff. And, you know, it already occurs to me, and I know this is probably true, but even though you left school and you left Juilliard, you found this almost supplementary education in Absolutely. people yeah. like Jeff Calhoun and I don't think you can go through this business without without learning, but I do watch some people and some people are more open to learning and growing. And some people are a little bit more just wanting to work or do the work, but it, it seems like you were able to keep learning and keep yourself open and be finding these incredible mentors and, and you know, people like Hugh Panero, like along the way to, yeah. to kind of work with. I mean, every, every, everything should be an educational opportunity. You know, I mean, if, if then, and that's up to you. Right. You know, even if the education is, Oh, Hey, I don't want to do it like this. You know, like some of the greatest learning moments I've had have been in, in actually like not the best situations. Um, I, I said Randy Waldman, sorry, going back to Barbara's pianist, Randy Waldman, who was like the greatest pianist and arranger alive was like at the keys, you know, and, being, hey, Barbara, what if we tried it in A and the whole orchestra would like change keys? So cool. So cool. Amazing. And then also, like you said, to be 24 and to be traveling Europe, I can't even imagine. So when we get over, you know, like stage fright, you know, like to be on that kind of stage at that at that age was pretty, pretty cool. Not to say that I've like battled stage fright. I, you know, I'm terrified to be on stage now, but um, it was, there was no choice. Right. So, okay, so you get back from doing that. That was an incredible thing. And you keep acting and you start doing television and work starts coming. I want to know like when that like little thought or feeling started coming into your head, like, oh, I kind of want to be a director or I actually think I want to start directing and and then kind of how it, I don't know, either it came out really fast or how it built up in, inside you until, you know, something had to happen and kind of what that was like for you? Well, I was doing a lot of television and some films and um, I just remember wanting to, and I think I always had wanted to, you know, since I was a kid forcing my neighbors to, 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 you know, do staging, looking back on it. Uh, Only child. Yeah, exactly. I had wanted to be on the other side and I 
approached certain directors and producers and uh, about assisting. And Warren Carlyle let me assist him on a Broadway show. So I got a taste of it that way and just really love putting it together and, and being on that side of things. And I, Jeff Calhoun and Tom Schumacher let me sort of shadow and assist during Newsies as it came to Broadway. And that was really helpful. And so I had people who sort of let me shadow and assist and it was around that time. And then I was on a long running television show called Anger Management in LA. And I uh, was really desperate to try my hand at immersive theater work. So I kind of raised money on Kickstarter and, and wrote an adaptation of the play La Ronde by Schnitzler and called up all my friends who I knew were theater people in LA, like missing theater. And we, did this wild play in 10 different locations around around LA. And that was in, I guess like 2011, 2012, sometime in there. And that, you know, I remember like at the opening of that production, like having the, this moment. And it was, it was a production that took place outside and around the audience, like got on city buses and followed the action. It was wild. Um, and I remember like watching the audience from like across the street, like, with a walkie-talkie, like, you know, doing all the things, being a dresser, being a, you know, it was it was very all hands on deck kind of thing, which is kind of my vibe. Um, yeah. But uh, and like feeling like the clouds open up and like the sword in the stone, like light coming down on me, being like, oh, this is this is what this is what it's all been coming to, like mm-hmm. being able to bring people together, create an environment where they can do their best work, hopefully, and guiding them along the way in order to like give an audience an experience. I really like in that moment, I was like, it it felt like God spoke to me. I mean, I I know that's, that's so silly to say, but it just felt not like he was like, you must do this, but it was very much like you're in the right place right now. This is like, this is, this is what all the, you know, interning as a lighting designer in high school and performing and shadowing and, assisting it all kind of it kind of clicked in that in that moment and the opening of that play and um i've been chasing that ever since yeah yeah i mean god is the og lighting designer so you know those cues are going to (laughs) be those cues are going to work right so you know i'm curious what was it like when you started i don't know to me like maybe the metaphor of like almost coming out of the closet again like telling people i'm a director you know what or saying it out loud or starting to put that into the world and into the industry and and also i think this was also a time before you started doing this do you know before you know before joe mantello got back on stage i don't know before like bigger people were really starting to do these things what were you nervous about telling people were you not because you were so set on it were people receptive yeah, I mean, was it I, what was that like I, you know i just knew what i was doing was interesting i guess i just had that faith and and you know I, the people who did come see the stuff i was working on affirmed that and so i was like okay great i feel this way people have seen my work feels this way however the like business at large certainly saw me as this like twink actor you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh, and who like is now telling people he's director and i remember like i was just like well i just have to like show them i have to like do it and so then that's when i put together spring awakening with again like on kickstarter like people wearing like my clothes and using my furniture from my house on stage and and 
but even then, you know, I, I had wanted to direct Once on This Island and I had written Lynn and Steve, who I had, the writers who I had worked with as an actor before and said, hey, I'm directing this show. I really want to do Once on This Island. I have a pitch for it. Um, here are all the reviews of Spring Awakening, Downtown LA, you know, and, and they wrote, and they sort of like dismissed me a little bit, you know, being like, oh, sure, sure, kid, you know. So it's just kind of been, you know, listen, I, I'm still trying to prove that I'm a director to, to people. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's like every, every hill you, you climb, there's like another bigger one in front of it. So yeah, it, it wasn't easy. You know, people like you, oh, oh, you, you direct too. Oh, well, don't you, you know? And I think that has really changed in the past five years. Like the, the multi hyphenate is actually like, if you're not doing more than one thing, it's kind of strange now. Mm-hmm. Whereas like five, 10 years ago, it was like, well, no, but what are you? You know, and now it's like, that's really changed, which I think is incredible. Although it just, you know, it's, uh, it's demanding on everybody now. You know, you're saying that and it's just occurring to me, like I've been having these awesome talks with casting directors too, you know, and they're saying, um, type isn't a useful thing anymore. Like it's not, people aren't fitting into these boxes in the way because we're casting people in all, all sorts of ways. And it's more like your passion, you know, for the project is more what types you in or out than anything else now. And so I think there is something that's happening with casting and then also the multi-hyphenating in the past five years that's that's opening up. And then you throw a worldwide pandemic into that and you're like, well, everyone kind of has to pivot or or f- figure out something to do during the, You don't have to figure out anything to do during this time at all. But some people are for income people have to figure out you know different different things to do so it definitely also seems like the pandemic has given way to more even more permission to say hey i'm gonna start a etsy clothing shop or you know like start you know whatever whatever is also like coming up spring awakening was i just like have to take a second and tell you like how incredible it was i was a huge fan of the original production Love Steven Sater, just ran into him two days ago. He's he's brilliant. His, what he wrote and conceived is brilliant. And then what I saw, what you did with it, with it was so smart and beautiful and heartbreaking and was really excellent. And that's actually, we met super briefly, one of the first like performances of Spring Awakening. I was with Chris Dwan. He's a good friend of mine. And oh, yeah. We, yeah, we ran into you and Andy. And I it just was so, um, so exciting and... Um, and I know, you know, I know just from other interviews and stuff that you, you know, it was not anticipated to go to Broadway. Like that was not, that was not what it was going to be like. But what an incredible first show to you for for you to have, yeah, as the first show. Like you said in Big River, you made this great splash on Broadway, playing this great part. What a great directing debut, especially. Was that like your New York directing debut? Uh, Spring Awakening, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like my, I had directed one other play, uh, this production of La Ronde, uh, which only like 12 people saw. Uh, and then Spring Awakening, which was never intended to go to Broadway. We were just going to open in downtown LA and do this show so that these incredible uh, kids had an opportunity to be rock stars. Um, and, you know, we had to say something about that play, which I loved. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was my first New York show. It was kind of like crazy. And and everyone in the cast, like what was so yes. cool is that like all of us, for the most part, got to, who were like dodging gunfire, literally in downtown LA, trying to put this thing on, like ended up 
performing on the Tonys. Uh, it was it was pretty pretty magical, and I would you know as a first New York experience, uh, I couldn't ask for anything better. Yeah. Amazing. Incredible. And then so much, you know, once on this island, brilliant. And um, it, it's so it's so exciting, um, you know, how, how it's happened. Amazing. You know, I, I kind of want to switch to the audition room a little bit. It's it's kind of like the heart of the podcast and in, in talking to directors and especially your perspective coming from an actor. What do you have to say about it? You know, there's not like a good way to just start talking about like the audition room, but like people, when people are coming in for first appointments, when people, when you're meeting people in the room, you know, either they have been pre-screened by the time they're getting to see you or they're, you know, people who you know, or maybe even they're your friends, you know, coming in for these auditions. What makes you lean forward? Like what makes you, like what makes your ears like tune in to whatever, whatever you are auditioning, you know, this is the shittiest question I've ever asked, but like literally just what, what is, what is that for you? I would say it's, um, fearlessness in a way, you know, I, I want people to come in and like, yeah, I'm sure you hear this a lot, but like every person who comes in, I want to be the answer to my prayers. You know, like I, I, like I want to be like, nope, that's it. We're done. You're perfect. I, you're exactly what I was looking for. And I sometimes like, Sometimes I feel like I know what I'm looking for, but I always like to be surprised and I like to leave myself, you know, open. And I think that comes from being an actor and feeling like so many times I went into audition rooms and felt like, well, I obviously wasn't what they were looking for as opposed to like, oh, they actually really listened and got to know me because, you know, I have certainly been cast in other things when I didn't get the job in the room. You know what I mean? Like I auditioned for Trevor Nunn once and for a little night music on Broadway and like, didn't get the job but he i remember he like came up and put his arm around me in the audition he's like you're you're so great and I, I i want to work with you one day and i was like yeah sure sure wah, wah. and a year later he cast me as like the lead in a show in london without an audition just based on that so like you never know what's going to happen so so i'm looking to like get to know someone and not just for the moment they're in i mean of course you want to read the sides well and and be and come and, and give what you give the character that you're auditioning for but i also just want to like know who the person is i'm going to be spending six weeks with because mm-hmm. that's also really important like i don't want to like spend six weeks with somebody i can't stand um <laughs> so i i like to be surprised i like when people take risks i like when if i ask to see something again i don't want it to be the same i saw it that i i, I saw it the one way already i think this was a great acting teacher I had at Juilliard, Juilliard named Rebecca Guy always said this, like never. I know Becky. Oh, she's amazing. She, she was like every audition, every rehearsal is an opportunity to do just that, to rehearse, to audition something, not necessarily audition for someone, to audition an idea. And I, I think that is, I love when I see actors do that because I think, oh God, their performance is going to be alive every night. They're going to give me so much to play with. Rehearsal is going to actually not just be us doing, is not going to be us rehearsing the same thing over and over. We're going to actually get to explore and throw things out and be inspired. And, and you know, that's the kind of generative artist I want to work with. And I like to, I like it when people like, let me, like I said, let me know who they are. I like when I can hear people. I feel like so many times, like people sing so quietly or, you know, I'm like, no, like, come on, show me, show me who you are and like, and let it hit the back wall. I'll tell you if you're too loud. That's a weird, it's a weird thing to say, but I'm always like, why don't people sing out? 
And then I say like, hey, could you do that again and sing out? And they do it. I'm like, there we go. She just come in with that. Come in and sing out. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like, I'm, I'm, try- I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, what we've been hearing and, you know, what you just said. I think that there's something about coming in for, especially like if we're talking about a theater audition and they're coming in like almost as the character or like there is a thing that I need to do because I think this is what you want to see and it's, I am playing a part. But there's something so much more valuable and you get so much more mileage out of bringing so much more of yourself into, you know, what you're doing, because then you're able to get to know, see the person a little bit through the lens of the given circumstances. There's something about that. That's like, I don't know, for my own brain as an actor is, is interesting um, to think about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So just like curious, you did, you did get back on stage recently, but like, is that something that is interesting to you is acting something, you know, I'm sure people have, you've gotten maybe an avail check about something about, are you interested in, you know, doing this, either it's a TV show or act or what, what do you say to that now where you are right now? I mean, I am, I am not opposed to it. I don't know if I'm not like dying to be on stage or, or screen. I like, (laughs) I don't know. I just like, don't want people to look at me. Um, (laughs) And I just feel like there are people who do it so much better. Uh, so I don't know. But then again, like, you know, King Lear two years ago came up and I heard it was happening. And I was like, you know what? I am the perfect person for this. I want to do it. I want to work with those people for a variety of reasons. And I like submitted myself. I like called my agents and I was like, can you get me an audition for this play? So, but it's, that's really rare that, that happens. Mm-hmm. Honestly, to tell you the truth, like most time, like an audition, like comes in my inbox and I like immediately I'm completely terrified and like turn into a crazy person. And like the act of making a self tape, like almost ends my marriage. You know what I mean? Um, Yes. I do know what you mean. I do know. Yeah. (laughs) Stressful. It's horrible, you know? Yes. So, you know, and I just know that as exciting and glamorous as it sounds, I know the minute I get there, I'm just going to be like, God, I wish I could like look at the monitor and camera and talk to the lighting designer. And you know what I mean? I just, um, even though I'm incredibly thankful for the work. So I am open to it. And it's, I think it's good for me to continue. I like did King Lear and Miss Maisel of late and yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. And, and it's really good for me to be reminded how difficult and stressful and terrifying and all the things to be an actor. And it, it reminds me and helps me find new ways to communicate and uh, have empathy in my work as a director. And I never want to lose sight of that. So I think that's, one of the reasons why I'm never going to stop doing it. And who knows if the right role comes along, I'm sure I'll jump at it again, but it's not something that I'm like at this moment in my life, if you're like, what are you striving to be? I'm not like, I'm, I'm trying to be an, I'm, I am an actor. That is not, wouldn't be my response. Mm-hmm. For sure. And also I just know this for myself, but I just, after being doing directing work and then getting back on stage as an actor, you're also informed a little bit differently as an actor, as a, like what your job is maybe, or how you can be the best piece that fits into a much larger puzzle that is so much larger than you is something that I, you know, have been, have been learning from that. But, but was there any big change or thought process, you know, going back at being an actor after being a director? Was it, did, did anything change for you? Except for the fact that I was like, you know what, I don't need to worry quite so much. Like, I don't need to, like, it's not all on me. Like, actually, mm-hmm. as an actor, my job is to, like, be quite um, ignorant to, to many of the things that I often 
worry about, you know, like, how do I look? Is this costume look right on me? Like, you know, am I being upstaged? Am I like, yeah, I'm like, no, actually just like, say what you mean and mean what you say. And like, the trick of an actor is like, not is, is the not knowing is the like entering the stage and, and knowing what you know, but forgetting everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think in a way that's like a very difficult thing to do, but like I felt more liberated because I wasn't worrying so much about shouldering more than I needed to Mm -hmm. as an actor. Like I actually, I just need to like, I need to come in and I need to like buy the cherry orchard. That's all I need to do. I don't need to like worry about how I look. I don't need to, carry the play i don't need to like help the audience understand what chekhov was trying to say in the cherry orchard i need to like you know get it for a certain price as the character right and and anyway and that's it that is that was kind of oh wow it's actually like i can i can the work is not the work isn't any easier but the like crap i put on myself can go some of it can go away and also you know just like being reminded of like what it's like to be in a dressing room and be in like the dynamics of cast. And like, I was like, I remember in King Lear, like going to like sit at my station and like put my makeup on. I was like, isn't this crazy that like we want actors to like not think about how they look and blah, blah, blah. And yet we sit them for the half hour before they enter the stage in front of a mirror with lights on them. I was like, this is so crazy. (laughs) Like, it's like, it's like, no wonder people are insane. Like they, (laughs) We give them a room with like nothing but mirrors to look at themselves before they go on and then ask them to like forget to not look at themselves. Like suddenly uh, I, I found that kind of funny. But then, of course, we, we want to look good. So uh, right. God knows I would like to, you know, fix my hair until I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so, so interesting. And and. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's that weird, it's that weird shift. And I also think that there's freedom that comes in. Like, I don't have to worry about any of this stuff. I just have to worry about myself and how much I got to pay for the orchard. And that in itself is enough to just relax one on stage, you know, Mm -hmm. and and do better work. Uh, We're running out of time, but I just wanted to ask you one last question. And, um, and just whatever comes up for you, it doesn't have to be about directing, it doesn't have to be about the business, it can be about your craft or, you know, but what's one thing you kind of wish you knew maybe let's say like in your early 20s things were starting things were happening you were getting jobs maybe something maybe more oriented around the business like about the way the business works or about your career or um i would say that that sometimes what seems like a setback is actually the the opposite (laughs) you know like not getting the job was like the best possible thing that could have happened because whatever you learned because of that or ended up doing or the connection you make is actually as valuable or more so. And just having the faith in that, I wish, you know, I, as opposed to just feeling like, well, if I am not walking up a step every day, I will never reach the top when like, that's actually not how, how it works. Like what I want to be doing is, and I need to remind myself of this every day is, leading the richest life I can lead mm-hmm. that doesn't always correlate with like what we think is progress and career when actually if we lead the richest life we can we might actually become a better artist 
and that and we might not become better artists just just walking up the steps in a or you know just getting on the escalator like what might be interesting is if we like grapple a bit um and that's hard because you know we're in a capitalistic society and so much of our worth is put upon what we're doing you know it's like two actors run into each other on the street and they don't ask like how their parents are they ask like oh what are you what are you doing right now mm-hmm. uh, and i and i think that's that's dangerous and harmful and um we are not the the jobs we you know, to the world on Instagram, we are the jobs we do, but, but mm-hmm. it's not like, as we're like on death's door, probably, I, d- I don't know if that's what we're going to be thinking about. I think we're going to be thinking about like the, the people we, the people we shared love with and, and that we learned from and that we taught and, uh, and sometimes obstacle and, well, obstacle and difficulty can be our greatest opportunity and what we need. Um, and so I wish I had I had known that because I would probably save myself a lot of self-hate and a lot of not feeling good enough. And God knows it's still something I have to remind myself every day. And that, you know, I'm lucky to have a husband who, when I'm not able to see that for myself, is there to remind me of that. Um, and to just, just look around and say like, oh, actually... I'm alive. I'm in the world. I have the things that matter. I have my health. I have people who love me. And if, when I put my focus on that, I'm actually growing. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think why we're doing what we're doing is because when we get to the end of our lives, you know, at least we spent our life doing something that we cared about and that we were passionate about. And, and what I also love is that, you know, to bring it back to the beginning of the conversation is, um, that we find such a beautiful chosen family within this business and, mm-hmm. you know, have our partners, but also our friends and our, you know, loved ones and everything kind of collecting them and through, through all of that. So I think that that is, I think it's important. And, and it also, you know, I think hearing someone like you say what you just said is so important for people who are just starting in this business or who are, or who are just as established as you are and doing what you're doing. And, because I think it it never ends, and I think that it's difficult no matter what stage or what step what step you're on. So, you yeah. know, that's another important thing to me is is hearing people that are in your position also be honest about where we can go and where we can be and um and and how we deal with that. So, so that's huge. I love that. I was thinking of it, and it also occurs to me sometimes it gets harder the higher you go or the more success you have to grapple with those setbacks. You know, so yeah, yeah. Like, you know, the, the higher you climb, you know, the higher you get on the cliff, like the further it is to fall and the scarier it can be. And, and, you know, so, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Michael, I'm so grateful for this morning coffee chat with you. Yes. Um, I'll get the bill. I'll, 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 I'll oh, take- okay. 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 Great. Well then I'll take a, another double mocha frappuccino or something. Perfect. And we didn't get to talk about it, but very exciting what you're going to do up at Williamstown. Um, I grew up um, in Western Mass, kind of in the Berkshires, so I'll, I'll be around and um, super excited for that. Um, and I love that it's bringing you back to your immersive where you started. Yeah, it's going to be wild. Um, I think I think uh, I think it's going to be a wild summer in the Berkshires. So can't wait for people to see what we're we're going to come up with for sure. And I hope there is that sword in the stone moment that will just be letting you know you're you know you're in the right place i'm sure it's not a bird shitting on my face (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. All right, Michael, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And so great getting to chat with you, Robbie. Thank you. For more information on the podcast and our guests, visit thebreakdownpodcast.com and connect with us. Let us know you're listening on Instagram and Facebook at The Breakdown with Robbie. We also have some pretty exciting supplementary content over there like Instagram live catch-ups with some of your favorite podcast guests. If you like what you hear, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and write a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. And don't forget to check out TSMA Consulting. Use offer code BREAKDOWN20 for $20 off any of their growth packages at tsmagrowth.com. All right, listeners, thanks for listening and get ready for another episode of The Breakdown.